Welcome to Lose Yourself with Dr. Mike Cunningham, Bible teacher and church planter in Vineyard, Utah. When we lose ourselves in worldly distractions, we lose our value, purpose, and our passion in exchange for temporal experiences. But Jesus says that whoever would lose their life for His sake will find it. Let's learn what it means to lose yourself with Dr. Mike. Welcome back to Lose Yourself. We resume our conversation with Steve Pearson, pastor of Redemption Hill Church in Saratoga Springs, Utah, on the subject of Passion Week. When I examine myself on Palm Sunday, I ask myself, what faulty expectations am I bringing to this relationship? Hmm. What kind of idolatry is in my life right now? That what, Who am I making Jesus that he's not? It's easy to look back on scripture and say, I would totally would have gotten it. But when you really take a moment and examine yourself and say, how am I making the gospel something that's not in my life? How am I trying to have a transactional relationship with the church the way that people were having a relationship with Jesus at that moment? Because what they were seeing is what they wanted to see. They weren't seeing Jesus for who he is and what he was going to do. They were seeing and hoping that he was going to do what they wanted to do and they were going to gain out of it. That's one of the reasons why Judas turns on him. You know, Judas was in for Judas. Yeah. It's easy for us to look at the guy and say, ah, he's terrible. He's the worst person ever. But in some ways I go, gosh, if I had this expectation this whole time and then this happens. Yeah. How do I react? Well, that that happens all the time, right? I mean, it's in Matthew chapter, I want to say 11, Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus asked the question to John's disciples. He go, what, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? Well, what, what were your expectations when you were out there, out there to see? Like a reed shaking in the wind? Because here's the thing. John the Baptist was in jail, right? And it's like, whoa, that we didn't expect that one. And then Jesus said, well, what did you go out there to see? You know, what, what was the whole thing? You know, and you, you see this throughout Scripture. You see this, you see this with Jeremiah. God says, you're going to be a defense city, iron pillar, brazen walls. You're going to stand against the whole land. They're going to fight against you. They ain't going to prevail, right? Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 17. Halfway through the book, he's like, hey, you deceived me. <laughs> you know, I, what, what, I, I was deceived. Um, cursed is the day I was born. I don't want to live. I should have been aborted in my mother's womb. Like Jeremiah had false expectations of what God's call was. Right. And you, you see this throughout scripture. You see this with Job. Right. I mean, in the beginning and in the end. Right. And so so this is a part of a real life. You know, w- when you become a Christian, what is it you expect? Do you expect God to be this genie in a bottle that, that anytime you go through a rough time in life, you know, that you just rub the bottle and he comes out with one of your million wishes and, and things get better. Like, what do you expect? And, and I think people need to ask themselves that question because what happens is, is if we go into a relationship with Christ with false expectations, right? We're going to find out that what we thought was deliverance in one way became deliverance in a completely different way. And that became a stumbling block and a rock of offense to us. Like, wait a minute, you know? So, so for me as a Christian, Mike, here's the thing that I've learned. I mean, I've been walking with Christ for 27 years and I I've learned that, you know, through the hard way I've learned, I don't expect God to answer me the way I want to be answered, but I expect him to answer the way he wants to be answered, the way he wants to answer. So, so when I ask for, for something, when I ask to be delivered from something, right? Um, I say, God, you know, this is what I want. I, I, let's say this. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. Okay. My expectation is God's going to answer that because he wants that. Right. But I don't have an expectation as to how he's going to make that happen because I won't like it a lot of the times. Right. And so I think we need to be careful with what we, what we, like I was talking to a sister the other day who's going through some rough times and 
in her marriage. And she said, well, I gave God a year to kind of fix this. Otherwise I'd have peace and I can move on. And I said, okay, well, let me just encourage you with something. Don't, don't give God a time block to work in so that he answers your expectations. Because the truth is he probably won't. And what you may find is he ends up giving you a stronger back rather than a lighter load, right? When, when you come to the Lord, the expectation is God will care for you. God will, God will take care of you. God loves you. Don't, don't give him your list of expectations lest you think the king's going to deliver you from Rome and he dies on a cross, right? Because that's really kind of the disappointment that a lot of people felt during that time. Mm, that's some good stuff. So then we pivot. You know, we have the expectations, the false expectations of the, of the triumphal entry, but also the fulfillment of prophecy and the, the lamb is being inspected. And we pivot now to Thursday, Friday, Sunday, where we have the Monday, Thursday, Last Supper, upper room experience with his disciples. We have the actual crucifixion and then we have the resurrection. So as we pivot in this, think about what it must've been like as a disciple in that upper room experience. This is last experience one-on-one with those disciples before the crucifixion doing the Lord's supper or communion, depending on your point of view or your faith background. And you just see this amazing imagery of the things that go down in that time period. Even that adds an extra backdrop to what Christ does on the cross and eventually in his resurrection. Yeah. So it's interesting of all the things, you know, John's gospel, if you read John's gospel, it actually gives the longest narrative of the last day and night, right? It's like, in fact, most of the book is about one night it really, you know, or the last day, if you will. Um, it, and it's interesting on the very last night, like I'm thinking, okay, if, if, if I'm going to die and I'm going to spend the last night with my family, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to get together. We're going to talk about all these, you know, uh, you know, so, so what you do on the last night is really kind of what's most important. And Jesus does something interesting. He, he, he sets the tone for the next 2000 years, right? The next, not just the next day or the next two days, but the next 2000 years, he grabs a basin of water. He, he, he gets down on his knee and he washes the filthy feet of the disciples, right? The last night, this is what he does. And he's, and he's telling them, he tells them what I've done to you, right, is an example. And, and here's what you're going to do to other people. So, so you're going to be a servant, right? You're going to take the low spot. You're going you're gonna to serve people. You're going to serve people as he's serving and washing the feet of people that don't deserve it. You're going you're gonna to serve people that don't deserve to be served, right? This is, the, this, is the, this is the last night of his life, and this is what he's implementing. And, and I think sometimes we miss that. You know, as Christians, we think that somehow we deserve to be served. Or we deserve, and what we don't realize is if Jesus takes the knee and Jesus girds himself and Jesus washes the feet and he says, I've shown you an example, then, then that's the marching orders from there. You are servants and you're to serve one another and you're to wash the dirt off of the feet of people in this life. Right. And so, so that, that, that to me is a powerful, powerful statement. And it kind of segues into the greatest act of service that ever existed in the, in the history of humanity that you would serve my eternal needs by giving yourself on a cross, right, for my sin. I mean, that, that to me is, is, the, is the total core issue here, what we're talking about during this week, is God was a servant to you in a way you could never serve yourself. You could never wash your own feet. You can't wash your own soul. You can't wash your own life. You'll try as you may. Job said, can something unclean bring something clean out of itself? The answer is no, it can't. And so because you're in that place, somebody else has to bend down and they got to wash your soul. That's what Christ did. Christ hung on a cross, but don't make no mistake about it. He bent as low as another human being can bend because of the humiliation, being the son of God, being the eternal God. 
he bent down and stooped down and humbled himself, uh, Philippians 2 says, to the point of death. To the point of death. Like, there was a humiliation there because at any point in time, the eternal God could have snapped his fingers like, like, like what's his name in, in, in Avengers and everything he could, but everybody could have just turned to dust, you know? It's like, it's like this was an act of humility, Mike, and I think that's, that's our example there. Yeah, I pulled up Philippians 2 that you mentioned. It says, in their relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing Hmm. by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the higher place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that really is the essence of the gospel, is that as those who serve him, again, I, w- I think it's funny where we talked about the triumphal entry and he rode it on a donkey and we expected him to come in on a chariot and conquer everyone. And then he was the approved sacrifice. And then you talk about in the upper room, he talked about just the, the washing of the feet. Everything about Christ turns our expectations on our head. Those of us who are coming to the church for something to gain, to get perks, to get power, to get notoriety. You know, it turns all of those expectations on its head because what we get is servant leadership <laughs> expected of us, the ability to put others first and to acknowledge the, the sacrifice of Christ, who's our ultimate example. Yeah. You know, it's funny because he says, and it says there, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, he humbled himself to the point of death. Now let's even go lower, even to the point of death on a cross. Because if you died on the cross, listen, you were crucified as a criminal. You were crucified with accusations, standing accusations, and and you were shamed in front of everybody. And, and it was the most humiliating form of death. It wasn't just the most painful form of death. It was the humiliation that that walked side by side with the pain. And so when he says, even to the point, don't miss that. What he's saying is Jesus allowed all the false accusations to exist, even though they weren't true. He could have at any time, right? It says when he in first Peter two twenty three, when he was threatened, he didn't threaten in return. When he's reviled, he didn't revile in return, but he committed to God who judges righteously. Meaning that any point when he was on the cross and those guys said, if you were the son of God, he can come down and save yourself. He could have, he could have Thanos the whole situation, snapped his fingers and said, you're out. Right. But he didn't, he stayed the course all the way to the end, took his last breath, dismissed his own soul. Jesus wasn't killed by humanity. Jesus gave up his own spirit as a willing act to pay for humanity's sin. So when we talk about the cross, this is not this this is not the world's victory. This is not sin's victory over over an impotent God that can't do anything. This is an eternal God who chose to give himself away for a creation that he loves. So he wins. In the end, Mike, he wins. And so it's a great it's just a great week to reflect on so many different parts. Thursday, you've got all of that things go down. Then Friday, imagine being a follower of Christ beholding his crucifixion. Mm. What has happened to your world at this point? Well, we're told. Your your worldview is blown up. Well, tell us. Yeah, we're told. Luke chapter 24, there were two guys that were completely destroyed, right? The two men on the road to Emmaus. I mean, people can read the story. These guys, you know, Jesus comes walking up next to them and they're downcast. He's like, well, what's going on? He goes, well, haven't you heard? Are you a stranger in Israel? And they go on and they rehearse the story and they say, man, there was this guy, Jesus. And 
They say, we thought he was the one. We thought he was the Messiah. So their expectation, they tell you their expectation was different than what turned out because we thought he was the, the king of Israel. We thought he was going to deliver us, but it turns out that, that, he was, that he was killed, right? And so it says that Jesus came up alongside and he said, oh, you foolish heart, so, so, so slow to believe all that the prophets have said, you know, should not the Messiah have suffered, right? And he starts to open their eyes and he sits down, he breaks bread. And then he vanishes from them. And they say, did not our hearts burn within us when he sat with us? So there's a, a great cross section of what was happening in the lives of the believers during that time. Later that night, all of them were assembled, we're told, in the upper room. And it says very clearly they were afraid. The doors were locked, right? They're wondering, wow, they went after him. So we're, we're next, right? And in the midst of their fear, as they're all sitting there, I mean, he, here's the people that are going to change the world, Mike. They're, they're all locked in a room, afraid. <laughs> it's like, oh, great. We got a lot of hope in this, right? These are the guys that are going to go radicalize the world for Christ. And it took Jesus coming into their midst, right? Going through the barrier of the locked door. And he says to them, peace, right? Peace. Not as the world gives. I get. It's just like, there's this incredible view that you get. And then he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So, so Jesus didn't leave them in the locked room, right? He basically went in to their fear, right? He wasn't afraid to go into their room. He went into their fear. He breathed on him and he said, now you got to go. You got to get out of here, right? You're not, you're not born to live in isolation as a Christian. You're not born to take this life-giving message you've harnessed in your heart and sit and just, you know, talk to yourself and God get out now, get out and go into the world. And what happened? He actually told me, he said, leave and go wait in Jerusalem. And then, you know, the father's going to visit you from on high and, and the world changes after that. Right. But you got to leave the room. You can't stay in fear when Christ is risen from the dead. There's no such thing. Right. So, um, just, a, that, that was kind of where their minds were. They were downcast. They were fearful and everything changed when he came into the room. He, 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 all fear, all doubt left. And, and, and the world's changed ever since then. We're out of time, but we'll pick up this conversation on our next episode. This has been Lose Yourself. For more information about Mike and his ministry, check out his blog at loseyourself.life. Until next time, make it your ambition to lose yourself to Christ. Lose Yourself is a ministry of Grace Church and Mike Cunningham and a production of Key Radio.